you'll turn in your Bibles now to the book of Luke, to the book of Luke, our scripture reading will come from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. As we look now to a section of text, after the birth of Jesus, after the after eight days had passed, we here in this text will meet three individuals or three groups of individuals who exemplify for us a devotion that we desire to model as well after. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. It reads, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your glory, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword shall pierce even his own soul, your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then, as a widow, to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. And continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin our study once again. God of heaven, we pray once again. Illumine our minds, grant to us understanding. Fill us with your spirit 
and open our eyes that we might see great and wonderful things from thy law. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Those of you who watch football know that every year a number of players are invited to play in the Pro Bowl. That'll happen probably about a month from now. And they're the best players, most popular players generally in the NFL. What's interesting is that if you've ever noticed when you've watched the Pro Bowl game, for those of you who do watch football, is that one team, well, they'll have all the same jerseys, maybe blue and white, and the other team will have all of the same jerseys on their side, rather something like red and white or whatever their color might be. But what's fascinating is that each and every individual who is playing, no matter whether they play in the NFC or the AFC, they're all wearing their individual helmets from whatever team that they represent. If they're playing for the New York Giants, they play and they wear their respective helmet. If they're playing for the Seattle Seahawks, they'll wear their own helmet or whatever so you can tell who's from what team. And it's not as if when you're watching this Pro Bowl game that they're, um, that they're going all out, so to speak. They're not sacrificing their body out to make a tackle all the time. They're not risking their necks. Why? Because they're not under contract with that conference. They're playing a game. In fact, it would be very, very bad if they became hurt and they were playing in the Super Bowl. They're under contract with their own team. They're under contract with the team that's paying them. They're not nearly, as I mentioned, devoted because they're looking out for themselves as well as playing well in the Pro Bowl. Frankly, many Christians are are like that in the same way. They're wearing the jersey that may affiliate them with something or another. They hope will be that of the Lord and Christ and all that His Word encapsulates. But they're perhaps sometimes wearing their own helmet because they're looking out for their own interests, their first priority, their agenda in life is going to be what their allegiance is to. We hope that it would be to God, to His Word, to serving Him. Many times we are devoted to many things as people. We're devoted to various hobbies. We're devoted to our jobs. We're devoted to possessions. We're tempted to be devoted to many things that the world has to offer. We're devoted to those things, even relationships. We're devoted to many of those things that we call hobbies, interests, whatever they may be, are in and of themselves. Okay sometimes, acceptable. But when those desires, those hobbies, those interests, those affections are inclined to love those things more than our devotion to God, to His Word, and to obedience to it, there's a problem. There's a problem of idolatry in the heart. As 1 John 2.15 reminds us, do not love the things of this world, nor the... love this world nor the things of this world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him and in this morning's text as we look at the birth of Christ and the days subsequent to that the parents have brought Jesus and we meet some individuals some individuals who are devoted to the right things they're committed to the right things 
They're devoted wholly to the Word of God and to obedience to it. They're devoted fully to Christ Himself and they're devoted to the service of God. And we see these three as we come to a time after Christmas, after the birth of Christ, we look at this passage of what happened after Christ was born. And the first set of individuals we see are Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, in the devotion to God's Word, first and foremost, they were devoted to God, but here we see their obedience in devoting themselves to the Word of God. As it reads here in verses 21 through 24, they were righteous people, people who were completely committed to obedience. Joseph, it was mentioned in Matthew 1, verse 19, her husband being a righteous man, And when the angel came to announce to Mary that she was going to bear a child, she said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. The bondslave of the Lord, committed to doing whatever the Lord would desire. And we see them here committing themselves in obedience to God. They named the child Jesus. They circumcised him. They followed the laws of purification and they dedicated that child to God. They presented the burnt offerings for him. For verse 21, they named the child Jesus. When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name, the angel, before he was conceived in the womb that was given. The name Jesus means what? Jehovah or God of God is salvation, because God is a saving God. This was to be the name of Christ. It carries a Hebrew root that comes, that from which we get the name Joshua, from which we get the name Hosea in the Old Testament. All of those come from the same root word, meaning Jehovah or God is salvation. In obedience, in obedience to God, they named Him Jesus. That was God's desire. Then secondly, they circumcised him. According to the Old Testament law, he had to be circumcised on the eighth day. It first was instituted in Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham was followed, following God's law, and all of him who followed Abraham were circumcised as well. It wasn't merely for health reasons. It was primarily for spiritual reasons. It was a reminder that there was a need for spiritual cleansing. One commentator writes, quote, Every time Jewish parents brought a son to be circumcised, it was a reminder of original sin. They were sinners. They had born a sinner in their need for cleansing at the deepest level of their souls. That's why Scripture commands us to circumcise our hearts. But why was Jesus circumcised? He wasn't born with sin. He wasn't conceived in sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, pure, sinless, spotless. Well, they followed the law of God and so did Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came to fulfill all of the law perfectly. He came to fulfill all of the law perfectly. For he himself said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but what? He came to fulfill them. 
to fulfill them perfectly like no other person could, that He might be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Galatians 4.4 tells us that He was born under the law. For Him, He was circumcised in fulfillment of God's law. Because the laws that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders had been teaching the people were distortions. But He came to fulfill the perfect law. And His parents obeyed. Thirdly, not only did they obey by naming the child Jesus, by circumcising the child, but by purification. It says there were the days of purification. Verse 22. Now for the mother of a male child... Not only were there eight days after birth before he was circumcised, but they had to wait another 33 days afterwards. So a total of some 40 some odd days she had to wait before being able to enter into the temple. The mother could not touch holy things as well during this time of waiting and purification. And all of this God required in order to remind the parents that they too were sinners who had born a child. And generally, with the exception of Christ, or with the exception of Christ, that child was a sinner. And so they waited in accordance with the law. And fourthly, they dedicated that child with offerings and sacrifices. They dedicated that child with offerings and sacrifices. Just as Hannah in the Old Testament had dedicated Samuel, just as Mary and Joseph here also dedicated Jesus to God. She brought two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, as was required. If a person could afford it, they could uh, bring a lamb, or young pigeon in addition, and turtle dove. But when one was poor and they had no money, they could give as their sacrifice two young pigeons or turtle doves. The fact that they followed God's law and presented even a sin offering men, both of them knew that they themselves were sinners. Mary and Joseph were committed, devoted to following the Word of God. Now, a lot of people in our day know what the Word of God says. We perhaps are well-versed, many of you, in the Word of God. You know what it says. You know what it teaches. But there are fewer who were committed to following in obedience what God has instructed. Many times people will say, well, that's such a small issue. That's not a real big deal. I don't know if God cares about that thing. I've watched Christians take things from their workplace to use for ministry. Or perhaps they've decided that, you know what? Following this law is not so important. I don't need to stop at this stop sign or I don't need to follow that. Whatever it might be, there's compromises that come all the way through. Are you committed to following the Word of God? Psalm 119 reminds us time and time again. And I love that psalm because the psalmist expresses their love for the Word of God and their desire to follow it. Do I enjoy learning? Do I enjoy following God? Is that our devotion? The second area of devotion that is modeled for us here, we see in the life of Simeon, verses 25 to 35. Devoted to Christ was what characterized him. Simeon, his name means God has heard. He was a righteous and devout person, the scriptures say. 
It was looking for the consolation of Israel, meaning the Savior. And the Holy Spirit had told him he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Can you imagine his anticipation, his excitement, perhaps when Christ came and it was revealed to him that this was the Messiah? That he had been waiting for all of these years for the Messiah to come. The Jews had been waiting for centuries. And now he saw a deliverer. Now there was hope. Now he could see how exciting it would be because there was hope for Israel. There was hope and salvation. This was exciting news. He says in verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his parents were amazed. Why do you think they were amazed? These things that he was saying. Not only was he saying, now I can die in peace, but it's a light. The light to all peoples. To the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And this was phenomenal to hear. For the Jews had always thought the Messiah is for us. The Savior for Israel and Israel alone. The Messiah will come to Smash the Gentiles to rule over them. But for us who are Jews... And so this was amazing. That salvation was going to come to the Jew as well as to the Gentile, to the entire world. And not only that, he says, what? He says, this child, in verse 34, appointed to the fall and rise of many in Israel... Sign to be opposed, a sword will pierce even your own soul. The Savior of the world, generally we hear the story, you see, of, of Christmas, peace and joy and good things. But here, Jesus was going to be what? He was going to be one that others would oppose. He would bring down some. He would raise others up. And there would be a sword that would divide. That reminds us of the Word of God that divides in, in, in piercing our own soul and our own heart of what is true. When Jesus came and He began to preach, He was very popular. And we see the book of Matthew and His popularity began to rise as He was healing and teaching people. And then there was greater and greater opposition to His popularity in the ministry of Christ. We see in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 13, he's opposed. He's opposed by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And there in his opposition, and he began to teach more things that would challenge the people of what it meant to be a true disciple of Christ. And his popularity of those who just came to Christ just to see what they could get from him. And the crowds began to fade away. As they wondered, who can follow this? The demands of discipleship were presented. The demands of discipleship were taught. And people said, well, if that's what it costs, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of that. And he began to teach in parables. He began to teach more of those who were his inner twelve. Yet, Simeon was here. Simeon had looked forward to this. 
And he prophesied that Jesus would come, not only to bring peace and joy, but to bring what? To bring those who were proud down, to bring others up in salvation. He would bring life. And he was devoted to the Savior. He was devoted to looking forward to it, to the coming of Christ. Many people are afraid. Afraid that Jesus might come too soon. You ask people, are you ready? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Are you ready for Jesus to come? If He were to come tomorrow, would you be ready? Would you be ready to go home? Ready to go and see the Savior who had died for you? They're not ready. They're afraid. They're afraid that Jesus would come and... They're not prepared or they haven't shared with others that they do so desire to share with. Or they themselves are living a life in which they would be ashamed of living when Jesus were to come. But Jesus could come at any time. The imminency of Christ, the doctrine tells us that what? Christ could come tomorrow. could come today. Are we ready? Are we looking forward to Christ, devoted to Him? Not only do we see Joseph and Mary committed in obedience to the Word of God, we see Simeon committed to Christ, and we see Anna, thirdly, committed and devoted to serving the Lord. For there was a prophetess, verse 36, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And what did she do? She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Here was an elderly woman. As I shared with you before, young ladies would be betrothed to be married anywhere from the age of 12 to 15, somewhere around there. And likely she was betrothed to be married and was married in her early teenage year as well. She lived for seven years and then her husband died. So that meant she was probably a widow around the age of 20, 21 or so. And yet for the next, what, 64 years plus, she lived as a widow serving God in the temple. Night and day with fastings and prayers, it says, Some translators take the passage to say she was a widow for 84 years, while others think that it was a widow until the age of 84. Either way, she was at least a widow for 64 years, devoted to serving Christ. You can imagine what many might have said at the age of 20 to her. Well, your husband just died. You're still young. You should get married again. Your testimony is not good. Serving God all day. That's no way to live. No one would want to become a worshiper like you, Anna, if they've got to be a widow for the next umpteen years. Anna, you've got to get a life. Too much of anything is bad for you, Anna. But the testimony of Anna and her service to God is recorded here in the Scriptures for all to see. For she had the privilege, too, of meeting the Savior. She was looking. She was serving, fasting. And Anna was wholly devoted and undistracted in her attention to service to God. The Scriptures don't look down upon her. Now, I think, too, of my own life. 
those who have been so devoted to serving the Lord. When I was a boy, a person who had a great impact upon my life that I've shared with some of you before, is a missionary, an American missionary who served the Lord in Hong Kong for many years. I remember she would come back on furlough and she would share and I was a little boy listening in junior church and she would often read the missionary stories of Hudson Taylor and the little flip books and I would watch with fascination listening to these stories of someone like that and hearing about her own life. She would come back and I remember she would regularly teach the children years later on I remember having the privilege of going on a short-term mission when I was about 18, serving alongside of her and helping her as she taught children or taught others and discipled others and trying to share the good news of Christ. She lived alone. She never got married. She later adopted a, a boy from Malaysia who later on went to Bible school and went on to serve the Lord in, in a lay position and she returned to Seattle after many years, not because she wanted to, but because cancer had brought her back. Her mission organization had brought her back. She returned and I remember visiting her and remember she was still an encouragement to many. She served the Lord for all of her life until she was very, very aged. Abandonment of self with undistracted devotion to Christ. Are you devoted to that? Are you devoted to serving God? Doing what you can to serve the God who saved you in the context of your own life? Being intentional about the things that you do? When I was serving in youth ministry in California, I'd hear people who would serve alongside in youth ministry and then after two years they would brush their hands and say, well, I did my two years as if they were doing the Lord a favor. That's how some people look at serving God. They look at it as a time when they used to serve God when they were young. That's what young people are supposed to do. Or they paid their dues and now that they're older, no, others should serve me. God desires, though, that we serve Him. That our lives are living sacrifices given over to Him for whatever God would desire of you. That God would be pleased. We would serve Him night and day, serving God for all of eternity. And I admire people like the missionaries who come to visit us. I know Jerry and Candace have come many times and Jerry, after his, his multiple heart bypass surgery, is around 75 years old. He's slated to go back to Uganda, Africa in a few months, along with Candace. Many people perhaps would say, you know what, you ought to retire in some place that's a lot more comfortable, where the heat doesn't get up to 120 degrees in the wintertime. It's hot and uncomfortable. They get malaria, it seems like, every four months. Yet they want to go back because the people need to know the Lord. Or I think of others who have come through our church and have ministered. Doug Nichols, who is a survivor of cancer, 
He's in his 60s and he's still traveling. Founder of Action International Ministries. He serves the Lord with abandonment and he continues as much as he possibly can. He's not tied to the things here. His desire after a while is to retire, quote-unquote, in the Philippines, where his heart is at and where he's at right now. And he hopes to die there, serving the people. The Lord can use you powerfully, missionaries of any age, especially those who are older, because they automatically garner much respect, for in most of the world, people respect missionaries who are older. They have a high regard for the elderly, but some have an aversion to serving God. The thought of committing themselves to anything that's long-term is hard for them. But for Anna, it was a lifelong commitment to serving God for the rest of her life. So what's your heart devoted to? Is it devoted to the Word of God like Joseph and Mary or devoted to Christ like Simeon? Devoted to serving Him? Some of the most inspiring people to me have been those who have gone out to the mission field or fully committed. Adoniram Judson was a fully devoted missionary to Burma. I've often read about him, how he sweated out Burma's heat for some 18 years without a furlough, six years without a convert. Enduring torture and imprisonment, he admitted in his journal that He never saw a ship sail without wanting to jump on board and go home. When his wife, his wife became ill, and he put her on a ship on a homebound vessel with the full knowledge that he would not see her for two years, he confided in his diary, quote, If we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace, unquote, Probably the sentiment of most people. But in that same diary, he said it himself with a postscript. Quote, Life is short. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I am almost the only person on earth who has attained their knowledge to communicate salvation. And he writes, The motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. Unquote. God desires that of us, that we be devoted for life to His Word, to Christ, to serving Him, to obedience to whatever God might call you to in the sphere of wherever God has called you. Are you willing to surrender yourself to Him? That is why Christ came. He came that we might have life, that we might be bond slaves to the Lord, that we might be people who love Him and are willing to give our lives as a living sacrifice back to God for what He has done for us. Let's bow together in prayer. God in heaven, We give you thanks for the gift of your Son. But Father, we so easily forget that that gift demands a response. As a response of gratitude, but Father, even more so, our desire, Lord, is to 
respond in devotion to you. For you are the creator of all things. You are the giver of life. And Father, with our lives we pray that they might be a living sacrifice, fully committed and devoted to Thee. In Jesus' name, Amen.